0: I I think as a CEO, and this is an oversimplification, but you really have three main jobs. First one is make sure there's money in the bank. Um, And that's either through the form of investments or sales and revenue. That's your job as a CEO to ensure that both of those things are happening. Number two is set the right culture and the right environment to ensure people are happy and succeed, able to succeed
1: at, at their jobs and at the, in their roles.
0: And the third one, which is relevant to what you're asking, is set
1: the vision. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the health technology podcast with your host, Christine Winoto.
2: If you're in medicine or you've seen Grace Anatomy, you know it's important for doctors to know their patient's history. It can mean the difference between effective and ineffective treatment, which is why Troy Bannister is focused on making healthcare data usable, not just accessible. As CEO and co-founder of Particle Health, he's using a digital platform to make all this information both simple and universal. With 15 years in the healthcare industry, Troy also has lots of great advice to pass on to fellow CEOs. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Troy. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I'm so excited to have you. Uh, You have quite an interesting background. You've done so many different things. Um, I thought it would be good for our uh, listener to hear about your backstory and what are the the lot of different things that you took on and accomplished before you start the Particle Health.
0: Yeah, um, it is kind of a weird story, um, but I have heard other people follow a similar path. Um, the, the quick version is uh, in high school, my math teacher used to tell stories all the time about when he was an EMT. In college, working in an ambulance. And I kind of became enamored that you could do that at 18 years of age. So, the first thing I did when I got to college, I signed up for an EMT course. And after graduating, I worked in an ambulance on the weekends and holidays in the summer. And I absolutely fell in love with medicine doing that. Um, there was something really um, special about being with people in the best times of their lives, the worst times of their lives, being a person that can help. Um, and so, I actually switched out of business school into pre-med in my I think freshman or sophomore year, um, and ended up going to Georgetown uh, for grad school. Um, and I ultimately decided not to become a doctor when I was there. Um, I realized that it was not for me. Um, and I think the big takeaway for me was if I'm not going to be a happy doctor, I'm probably not going to be a good doctor.
2: That's very <laughs> true.
0: <laughs> it's pretty good It's pretty good advice. Um, so I ended up graduating instead with a master's degree in biophysics. Um, which I took and did clinical research uh, at Mount Sinai. I got, got me up from DC to New York. And when I was working at Mount Sinai, I, I got kind of involved in the digital health research program. And this is back in the day, they were calling it M-Health, not digital health for mobile health. Um, and we were doing simple things like text message-based reminders to take your medications on time and proving that less people were showing up at the ER. And I thought, whoa, this whole like internet, you know, cell phone world is not really used in healthcare too much. Um, so I left and I joined a small venture capital firm accelerator program out here in New York called Startup Health. Um, I was one of the earlier employees there. And I got to meet hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs um, building things. And it was in that space that I kind of discovered the problem that I wanted to solve. Um, and that problem is just getting access to people's medical records um, and getting it to the right people at the right time um, to help keep them healthy.
2: There's a few things that I thought was interesting that, um, you did, that you did not mention that, uh, I thought mm. it was like you're doing the, uh, you ran a business on cleaning boats. <laughs> ah, yes.
0: <laughs> so yeah, let's go back to that one. <laughs> so that was in high school. All my friends were, you know, getting jobs at the grocery store or the ice cream shop or the coffee shop. And I was like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, you don't get paid a lot, you have to work like weird hours, da da da. I was like, why don't I just start my own business? And I grew up on a little island outside of Seattle, about twenty thousand people, and a lot of boats on that island. And I thought, heck, nobody's cleaning these boats. And my dad makes me clean this boat every summer and I hate it. <laughs> and for free. And for free. And I bet I could charge people for this. So I had a moped at the time. And so I would drive around the island on my moped with a bucket of like cleaning supplies. And I put flyers in, I'd get phone calls and I'd go clean someone's boat in the morning and they would pay me like a lot of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I would get to like sit out in the sun and like go swimming and like take, I would bring a friend along to clean with me and I'd give them some half of it. Um, And so that was like my first real job uh, was an entrepreneurial pursuit, you know? Um, And so I think that was actually a big moment for me. I was like, oh, you can kind of create your own destiny. Mm
1: -hmm. And and
0: so I think that was uh, an important thing for me. Yeah, for sure.
2: I love from that experience that you, you, at the very young age, not only you run the business or you know getting the sales, but you do you have to do a lot of the, the administrative work that you learned from the pretty young age.
0: Well, what's funny was like what I didn't even know this was the word at the time, but like quote unquote marketing, right? Like we had a logo, we had a tagline, we had like you know uh, we we went on like you know Microsoft Word and created flyers. And we wouldn't put them out in all the little on the mailboxes, um, and I was like it was a really big learning moment. I was like, if I put out a hundred flyers, I'll get like three, four five phone calls that next week. and I was like, okay this is this is actually works. like mm-hmm. if you do this, people will actually call you. Um, but yeah, that was um but you know the funny story too, is my younger brother, after I went to college, took over. And he kept the business running for about three or four more years.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I was I was reading about uh, the book that, uh, what is that guy's name? Tony Chia's book on delivering happiness. And mm. he was also starting a business and then he handed down to his younger brother. And then the younger brother went to college, handed it down to the younger brother. And I think at the yeah. end, there's nobody to hand out to. And then they closed that business. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was amusing. Um uh. So um going back to what your experience when you were at startup health, like what are the things that you see that you learned from, you know, mm. seeing a lot of the startups? I mean, you see the challenges that, you know, access to the data. Um, what are the things that you feel like, wow, this is really a lesson that I really need to pay attention to when I
0: start my company? I think there's two buckets of things. One is like, healthcare specific, there's a lot you have to learn to understand how it works. And the challenging part is like, in healthcare, nothing makes sense. It's not logical. There's no like, if this, then this, obviously. It's like, you just have to learn it. Things do things operate this way, because no reason at all.
2: Just just because
0: the way it is. So there's, there's a lot of learning. And, you know, in, I guess, in combination with how pairs overlap with providers which overlap with pharma which overlap with consumer like there's a lot of intricacies and nuances and um, that just take a long time to learn like you just have to spend the hours to like figure out how it all fits together i think that's uh, that was an invaluable lesson it was one that was why i went to this company was to learn this stuff i think the other side of it is just general entrepreneurial lessons um one of the biggest lessons i learned which uh I wish everybody could could get to this point. If you're gonna, if you're thinking about starting a business, I met a lot of entrepreneurs, um, hundreds if not thousands over the like three four years I was there. And something I kind of took away was like, I think I can do this too. That was a big moment for me. I think when I was like, I've met a lot of these people. They're super smart. They're super dedicated. They work really really hard. I think I can do that too. I think I'm I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge. I wouldn't call it like a one moment in time lesson. But it was something I developed over the three or four years that I was there. Um, it was just the confidence that if, if these people can do it, and they're all, you know, I give them tons of credit. Everybody's amazing. Um, but I thought I could do it too. And that was a big, that was a big deal.
2: I think that the confidence is so important. It allows you to take an action, I guess. And I think starting a business is... Big action. Right? <laughs> Rather than like, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. At some point, you have to like, okay, just jump.
0: Well, that was that's one of the biggest lessons or, I guess, pieces of advice I could give anyone. You, I think the rate of failure of entrepreneurs that try to start a business while working another full-time job is very, very, very high. I think the only way to increase your chances of getting to that next milestone is have no plan B. You have no safety net. You have no backup plan. It's break down the wall, get the meeting... You know, find the co-founder, like raise the, you know, small pre-seed round or else like I'm going to have to be eating ramen for six more months. Um, (laughs) I ate a lot of ramen in the first six months. But um, that's, I think that, that is one of my greatest pieces of advice I could possibly give if you're thinking about starting a business. If you can, is figure out a way to like not give yourself a backup. You just have to fully commit.
2: It's so almost that, and I, you know, it's interesting. You are saying that uh, often. Time in the healthcare space, compared to the tech space, you see in the tech space a lot of you know twenty two years old starting a company. They don't have kids yet. Often time, mm-hmm. and when you look at people who are in the healthcare space, they tend to, like you said, in healthcare, you need to have a lot of understanding and experience. So as a result, it comes with age, and that becomes harder to to have no plan B when you have children like looking at you so cutely that they need food.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the risk gets higher for sure. The longer you wait to do it for sure. Um, There is definitely like an age range, I'd say, and it depends on the person,
1: of course, but there's an age range where you're willing to take some risks.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group. A team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com.
2: So, Tell us about like how the story, how you know you were saying that about um, founding a company, get get a, a partner to to do it together with you, and tell us how that uh, Particle Health got created.
0: Um. <laughs> so I, like I said, I I practice what I preach. I quit my job one day, no backup plan. Um, and I. Then you knew what it, you wanted to do though already. I I knew I wanted to start a company. I had some ideas of what that company would be. I did not have a crystal clear perspective. And for the first month or two, I like paced around my apartment all day. <laughs> asking myself, "What did I just do? Why did I do that? And what am I what am I going to do?" And you know, I'm like I'm looking at jobs offering. I'm like I'm keeping that as like an option, but I just developed enough um consensus on my, my hypothesis that this was a big problem, that there were new inroads to new solutions into that problem that would be able to innovate. The first thing I did was I had a coffee shop um, you know, down the road, and I'd go there every single day with my laptop. And my goal in the beginning was just fill up my calendar with meetings. Just fill it up. And after you know three or four weeks, I started getting some meetings. Another three or four weeks, half my day was full. Another couple months, my calendar was full every day. And the purpose of those meetings was essentially just like pitch my idea, get the feedback from that stakeholder, and mature that, that that development of that idea over a couple months. And by the time, you know, two, three months down the road, I actually had a pitch that people were like, okay, I get it. And they're like, what about this? And I had an answer. And they're like, what about this? And I had an answer. And I kind of got to a point where I'm like, this is like half-baked now. Mm-hmm. It's a half-baked idea. And that's good enough for me. And so then I went and found a co-founder, and then I got um, accepted into the Texas Medical Center Accelerator Program down in Houston, which is an awesome program, free, no equity, no cash, and that was kind of the next you know uh, phase I think, where we went from half baked to seventy five percent baked.
2: And so for for the new newbie or wanna be entrepreneur, when you say you you know you you list all the people that you want to meet. Are these people that you know? I mean, how do you go about that? What you know, There's always a purpose in all the chaos, I think. thats I don't even know what's the right word for it. There's something yeah. right order, for it, right? Order, order, order. Take care, message yeah. to the madness. Right, something
0: um, like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the beginning was all people I knew from my last job. And there are people kind enough to give me 30 minutes of their day to give me honest you know, support and feedback. But what I would always do is at the end of the call, try to get another introduction out of the call and you know out of those introductions you get more introductions and from there you get more and then at some point it just snowballs and you don't even have to try anymore um it just happens right you just get the kind of critical mass of this guy's doing something and i think you should talk to him or you know you you've met Troy before at this event you know he's kind of onto something and i want you to you know do me a favor and talk to him so like it kind of snowballs over time but it's it's hard to get the inertia going for sure and i was very fortunate in that working my last my last job i got to meet lots of investors lots of entrepreneurs lots of stakeholders in the provider payer space that i could call on for a quick you know favor um, but that runs out pretty quickly <laughs> and so you have to figure out a way of sustainable sustainably getting more phone calls in the books
2: yeah so maybe this is a good segue for for you to tell us like what is particle health what you yeah. to do? <laughs> Good question. Um, why you guys are going to make an impact? What to what you're trying to accomplish?
0: So the, I always start with like a simple analogy, and then I can get into the details. Um, if you've ever used Venmo before, um, Venmo is the app that can allow you to send money to your friend. Um, you may or may not know this, but behind Venmo is a company called Plaid, and Plaid is an API that connects to all the banks in America and The only reason Venmo can exist today is because of Plaid. Um, We are very similar to Plaid, but in healthcare for clinical data. We have connections with almost every EMR and health information network in the United States. And we consolidate that all up to a single, simple API and a single, simple contract. And so developers, whether you're from a hospital system or a digital health company or whatever, can come to our developer environment through our website and start building things. And those things can pull data from almost every EMR and health information network around the United States. Um, and I can also share that data back into the EMRs too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very similar to like a Plaid, but in the healthcare clinical data space.
2: I'm not familiar with the Plaid. Uh, so Plaid is an, a company that provide this tool.
1: Infrastructure.
2: That, infrastructure that Venmo can use. And then there's other different Venmo-like people can use. Yep. to access. And so what you're doing is similar to what Plaid, but more in the healthcare for their healthcare data.
0: Exactly. So Plaid opened this whole new world of possibilities for entrepreneurs in the fintech space. Um, if you've ever heard of like Robinhood, where you can buy like parts of shares of stocks or mint, mm-hmm. uh, personal financial record, um, almost all of crypto currencies run on Plaid. When you buy a crypto, it runs through Plaid. Mm-hmm. So they opened up this whole world for innovation and particles on a mission to do the same thing in healthcare. Um, today, if you're an entrepreneur, and you want access, and you, let's say you're building like a diabetes app for diabetic patients, you can't get their medical records into that application. It's impossible. You have to go hospital to hospital, getting contracts, building integrations, take six to 12 months per hospital, costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, you have to build a network. So we're becoming that network that infrastructure layer for all those people that want to pull data into their applications or services or platforms or hospitals or whatever.
2: So does that mean you have to work with all the providers in the country?
0: No, we we work through a few different organizations, but our connections are directly with almost directly with the EMRs themselves. So we're plugged into Epic and Cerner and Allscripts and Athena Health and eClinicalWorks and Meditech and Greenway and all that, all of those.
2: So is that mean uh, like very, very interesting for me, because I'm not very familiar with this too. Um, so when you're plugged into all the EMR um, and then do you need to get the permission from the patient? How does it work?
0: It depends. Um, so under HIPAA, the, Remember, the P in HIPAA stands for portability. The idea of HIPAA is, let's create ways to exchange data without friction so we can get things done. And HIPAA calls out three use cases, treatment, payment, and operations. Anything under those definitions should freely exchange information. If I'm a doctor and I want to look at your medical records, I should just be able to look at your medical records. So that's the HIPAA world. Um, The non-HIPAA world is... Any other use case, clinical research, um, life, life insurance. If you ever apply for a policy, they need to look at your medical records. Um, uh, what's another good example? Disability insurance, for example. Those use cases outside of HIPAA require authorization from the patient. If you download some random app from the app store, you're going to need to get approval from that individual to bring it into that app.
2: Okay. And so so we understand the whole Venmo part. So help us understand for the Venmo in the healthcare that use mm. uh, particle health, how do they use it? And how is it, uh, help us understand like the impact for people, day-to-day people like
0: us. Yeah, so we're we're kind of invisible, right? No one really sees particle health like popping up in like mm-hmm. the screen or whatever. Um, if you, so we, we work with um, healthcare organizations that manage patients. And for the most part, most of our customers are, um taking some sort of risk on the patients, um, Medicare advantage type risk or ACO type risk or um, value-based care type risk. What we're able to do is when that patient shows up for the first time at that, whether it's a digital platform or in person at um you know a provider group, um, we have all those medical records from that patient's history already in their system. And we pull out the information that's important for that patient. So if we can find that, that patient's diabetic, we can pull their last A1C test, we can pull their metformin prescription history, we can pull their BMI, their blood pressure, their GFR, and we can present that to the provider in a really meaningful way that they otherwise would not see. These these doctors today are showing up blind Mm -hmm. (laughs) to these these encounters for the most part. They have um, data in their system that they create and sometimes peripheral systems, um, like Epic can exchange data with other Epic instances, for example. But um, you don't get the holistic picture. And so that's what we're able to provide in a digital setting and an in person setting.
2: And so my question is then who is paying for your service?
0: Risk bearing entities, whether it's a payvider or, so I'll give you some examples. Some of our customers are like um, Oak Street Health, Iora, Omada Health, Strive Health. Um, uh, most of them are on the digital side today.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so the way they do so what they so f- give uh example with OMADA Health. So if I'm using Omada Health and then Omada's work with you, you you ask what's the infrastructure to provide me with all the right data that mm-hmm. comes with me and then so that I can share it with whoever that need to know about my data. Is that how that works?
0: Yeah. So if you downloaded Omada today and you signed up and you got connected with a provider that is at Omada for your diabetes management, mm-hmm. that provider would already know your your history. And they would know what you need from a treatment and care pathway standpoint before even getting on a call with you. Mm-hmm. The The old way of doing this is asking questions, filling out forms. It's not fully comprehensive. It's not data-driven. Mm-hmm. This is a much faster and more comprehensive way to get the provider all the data they need to initiate a really accurate and personalized care plan.
2: And why, I guess my next question is, uh, assuming there's uh, other companies like Particle Health and how is yours different from the other?
0: There's no one like Particle Health. I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um, So this problem we're talking about of like healthcare data interoperability has been around for a long time. It's A lot of people have tried to solve this. Mm -hmm. The way I think about it is there's been different iterations or attempts at solving it. The old, old, old old-fashioned way, which is still the number one way data is exchanged in healthcare, is the fax machine. There are hundreds of millions of faxes shipping around the United States today, uh, getting medical records from A to B. Um, So let's call that version one of data interoperability. Version two was what we call the integration engines. And so these are technology packages that make it easier to go connect to hospitals one at a time. Every hospital is different. And so this integration engine makes them all the same. You still have to go do your integrations with each one and you have to get contracts with each one, but it just makes it easier. Um, the third bucket is what we call portal scrapers. So if you ever use Apple Health Kit before, um, it shows you like a list of all the hospitals they're connected with. You click on the ones you remember you've been to and then you log in with your username and password, and it can take that data from your portal and aggregate it into a one place. Um, that, that is actually the way that Plaid works. You log into your bank, and it gives you access. You can share it with Venmo. But it doesn't really work that well in healthcare, particularly for folks that are sick. If you've been to five or six doctors over the last two or three years, you probably don't remember all of your usernames and passwords to all of your healthcare portals. So we've seen it not work that well in healthcare. The last one, we call it version 4, is where we put ourselves, and people often refer to this as a network of networks. Behind Particle are many networks that we, in aggregate, have really good coverage of patients. The way the API works, and this is like a good proof point, um, we, the, I guess the, the way the API works is you put in someone's name, date of birth, address, and phone number. That's all we need. And we can go find their medical records everywhere. We have a ninety percent success rate today in finding your records through the API, just with that that data. And we find on average one hundred and five records per patient per search. So we're just with your name, date of birth, address, and phone number, we can. We're really good at going and finding all of your data from around the country. Um, and so we think this is the new way forward. And this is why we're different.
2: Okay. Now that's really exciting. I, I can imagine. You know, doing the fax machine. It's. It's, I still cannot imagine why people still use fax machine, but apparently it's hard to change people.
0: <laughs> it's true, especially in healthcare.
2: Right, right. So you got to be patient. Yeah. Now, but this is really exciting. I think once people see the convenience, right, then you cannot go back. I think that's how it works with anything uh, in life. Um, I'm very excited for uh, the work that you do. I think it's anything that increased efficiency, allow us to do a lot of other things. because you know, there's a lot of problem in this world that, you know, it, oh, yes. it can be streamlined. That's all, I'm a big fan of that. So uh, I know we are short on uh, coming up close to our time. I, I want to um, ask you for your lesson learned, like for the last few, uh, few years from the beginning and where you are now, What are the things that you learned the hard way that you always remember that don't repeat?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I won't. I I think the the big lesson that I've been getting better and better at with time that is just a muscle that is not, I guess, it it wasn't intuitive to me as a person, and maybe it is for other people, but to be decisive. Uh, If you have a decision to make, make the call, own the decision, and move forward with it um it does not benefit you as an entrepreneur to spend double triple the time you know i think um uh, perfect is the enemy of done <laughs> um so it's it's more important particularly in the early days to be decisive make your decisions be um be okay with the decisions you've made whether they're right or wrong learn from them and just keep moving
2: is there other other thing i i i think that makes sense cuz usually when you do contemplate you spend three hours, you still come back to the same decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, or there's two decisions and neither of them are good. Um, which one are you picking? And you can sit there and you can go, how do I find a better solution? But um, some at some point, you just have to make a decision and keep moving, for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. So how big is particle health now? You're probably at a rate a, oh, like scaling
0: at this point. We are at maybe. 40 people. Um, before COVID, I think we were five people. So that can give you a little bit of a indication. Um, we plan to keep growing. Um, we've got some good plans. I think, um, we're going to be a little careful in the current market. Um, as you might've been hearing about, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we still will will definitely continue growing for sure.
2: So what are the things that you do to, uh, ensure You know, scaling from five to 40, that's a lot of people. And Mm. um, how to make sure that you get everybody on the same mission and stay through to what you want to accomplish and do a good job.
0: I I think as a CEO, and this is an oversimplification, but you really have three main jobs. The first two are, I'll I'll mention, and the third one's relevant to what you just asked. First one is make sure there's money in the bank. Um, and that's either through the form of investments or sales and revenue. That's your job as a CEO to ensure that both of those things are happening. Number two is set the right culture and the right environment to ensure people are happy and succeed, able to succeed at, at their jobs and at the, in their roles. And the third one, which is relevant to what you're asking, is set the vision. Be really clear. Be repetitive. Be obstinately confident <laughs> in the vision, and make sure everybody else ad nauseum understands what that vision is and how we're going to get there. Those are the three main things yeah. that you constantly have to be doing. There's a whole constellation of stuff outside mm-hmm. of that, of course, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, those are three of the most important things. And how
2: do you drill down that vision? Because you, 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 you know, you. When I was working in a large company, you see a you know sign everywhere and everybody I was like yeah like everybody rolled their eyes right so but like how do you ingrain that vision i just started to get tips from you <laughs> uh,
0: i i don't there's i don't know if there's a good answer to that question i'm sure everybody does it differently i think the way i've thought about it is there's a mission the mission never changes under that there's a vision i think the vision does change over time right um, your vision might be let's build an MVP that can do one thing, one trick pony really, really well. And once you've done that, your vision's gonna evolve. Mm-hmm. Now you you want it to do a lot of different things. So the vision's always changing. And I think it's the responsibility of the the CEO as well as some of the other people leader, leadership team to constantly be testing that vision and ask the dumb questions like why are we building this product today? And like we've just we've just worked on it for six months and it's actually, I think, healthy to ask that question, even six months into development, why are we building this? Um, uh, I think as long as you build an environment where everybody's asking those questions and they're comfortable to ask the quote-unquote dumb questions, the vision will be ratified by everybody and will be contributed upon by everybody. I don't know if that answered your question, but I rambled. I rambled for a while on that. No,
2: no, that's good. No, I, I'm, you know, I, I'd like to get tips from uh, people who are doing it. And every, like you said, everybody doing it differently. But I think overall, it's uh, it's pretty pretty uniform, actually, if you think about like more, like you know, step out a little bit, then it's, it's everybody kind of say similar thing, which is a good
0: thing. Yeah, you, you said something that I just, re- I think one thing important mentioning on that topic and we can move is... Um, it's really important for everybody to know why this is the vision. That's, I think, the key. If people understand why this is the vision, then you're you're good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think people like to understand. I think that
0: that's true. So,
2: well, we are up for time. And thank you so much for your time. And it's really fun. And what you're doing is really cool. It's really exciting. And I'm looking forward to the more greater things that you're doing.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this has been fun. Good questions.
2: Thanks.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.